air and streaming on the web since 1996. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to Soundtrack Alley and part two of our analysis and listen to the two scores that were written for the separate cuts of the 1985 Ridley Scott-directed fantasy adventure film, Legend. We did a deep dive into the film and one cue from each score on the last program. And on the program today, you're going to hear selections from additional scenes, and we will compare and contrast Jerry Goldsmith's score written for the European cut and Tangerine Dream's score written for the U.S. cut of the film. Before we get into the program, I'm going to read some comments written by listeners of the program about part one of the show. Mark Ashby wrote that part one was a gem of a podcast, a fascinating program, full marks. Cole Lossie said, great show. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to it last night. Victor Field said, it's weird hearing the Brian Ferry song from Legend for the first time in years. I did tape it off the video. Ian Clark said, great show, Eric and friends. Two hours of geek and Jerry Goldsmith heaven. Oh yes, and that German band as well. Looking forward to part two. Over on Twitter, film underscore music underscore love said, I've just finished this and what a great episode. And I very much enjoyed the different voices, opinions, and insights. Also, the addition of David to add a musician's view was great in a way that art of the score do it. Very much looking forward to episode two. At Jochen Weiler said, thank you for taking the time to give Jerry Goldsmith's legend the recognition it deserves. It's such a brilliant score. Truly out of this world. If you want to get your comments read on the program, just make sure that you reply to our episode announcements on Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram, or email us your thoughts at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. And you can leave a reply on the show page at cinematicsound.net. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get back into our discussion of Ridley Scott's Legend. All right, we're going we're gonna to move on now to the next track. And, and we're not going to do a comparison because I don't think there is a comparative cue in Tangerine Dream's uh, score for this. But I love this track as it's very short and it's called The Armor. Uh, this is where Jack is led by the tiny fairy Una, who resembles a floating point of light. And uh, she takes Jack into an old cavern containing weapons and armor from an ancient time. Uh, this features one of my favorite themes, performances of, of the theme, and it's the first time we hear it. It's, it's Jack's champion theme. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Una's music is in here as well, and it's just so much is going on in such a short time frame. Uh, Jason, let us know what you think of this cue. It is a classic Goldsmith cue. It's um, one of those, it reminded me, listening to it when I first heard it, of the scores he's done in the 70s like the some of the, even the omen scores like the uh, the final conflict that sort of feel to it because of the the grandeur of it particularly as i said the the, the two themes coming out but the, the the brass writing is so 
beautiful in it and is and the use of the owner's thing when she appears for the first time to Jack very very subtle very very well done it's uh, what can I say it is one of you know two minutes but there's so much great music in those two minutes as you can as I said if you've seen the film or even using the, the notes from the super super screen release of this score you know what's going on and you can hear you can hear even hear the beauty of the uh, of, of, of the armor and of the and, and what is there in front of Jack's eyes in Goldsmith's music it is it is a, such a superb descriptive score and it said so much going on in it but it's it is another one of it's a, it's a typical brilliant Jerry Goldsmith cure really it's so 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 descriptive uh Robert you I think saw this no Jason you saw this movie recently right or did you just see I, the American I saw it, version? I saw, I've seen both. I saw both. I saw one on Saturday and one on Sunday. I saw, so, so I've seen both both versions. Um. So, well, and Robert, you watched it this morning, right? Yep. Okay. Can 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 you tell us exactly like what is happening on the scene and, and what's going on with the music as well? Basically, uh, it depends on which film you want me to talk about. But I'll talk about I'll talk about the director's cut and the and the, and the Goldsmith cue. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and also if you can a little bit, let, let us know what's happening with the American release as well, because I don't particularly remember what's happening. Um, but anyway, pretty much the same. There are, um, it's almost shot for shot the same. Uh, the the reveal of Una, and and that sort of thing. There is this kind of as as you, as we we we've talked about this this triumphant Jack theme, that comes through, uh, and it's the first time he's kind of been able to to get close to this to get because he even says in the film i don't know weapons and um because you know they needed a champion to go get yeah. to go get lily so wow. you get that uh you you get that first hint that they're yeah. actually you know that he's actually going to be able to do something i think and, you can describe it as the you're it cue you're yeah. the guy well that i mean gump even says at one point hey you'll do and um, and and so that's kind of where I get the uh, and, and there's also a little bit of mystery there too because we understand uh, I mean we find out the secret of what Una it is and that she's not just a little point of light that there's actually she can actually become a full oh spoilers again full size uh, full size uh, um, a sprite fairy whatever. And so, yeah, there's uh, again, like I said, there's that there's that little bit of mystery there as well. And again, this is this is uh, uh, Jason said two minutes, but it's it covers it covers the bases really well. Is there an equivalent to the triumph uh, kind of the champion cue in Tangerine Dream score at that moment? Um, to be honest, I don't recall. There is music on the uh, they did score exactly. that scene, but as I said, it's not memorable. No. Yeah, and I think that's the problem, right? Because I, I, I recall absolutely, um, you know, that, that, that theme easily in Goldsmith's score. But um, again, not being able to remember what was happening in Tangerine Dream score. Uh, David, what's happening in this queue? Um, it's, well, you've got that, that figure, that heroic kind of introduction. Um, there's also... Um, as you were saying, there's the, the Una um, theme, which is, is very kind of, not derivative, but it's very uh, evocative of 
French Impressionist Impressionism. Um, it's it's got this again these very lovely um, chords and harmonies, but it's it's a little more transparent. There's a transparency. It's not heavy, um, and it's it's very it, it it's got this kind of there's a lot of what we call um, changes in the tempo. Uh, although there, that's prominent in Gulls' score a lot. Anyways, as you can see, you can hear that the music's actually following the tempo of what's going on narratively. And there's that sort of, rep not a reprieve, but there's these these moments which punctuate these the different thematic definitions. And this is another case where you've got it moving from this kind of um, heroic tone to this more evocative, uh, ethereal type of type of uh, motif, um, narrative motif, not not literal motif, a musical motif, and then you get a re recapitulation of the the heroic um, theme, and it kind of resolves. You know, it's the Which you and I were, of course, saying that's he, he, that's more of a cadence that we associate with the edge. But um, he, he did it first here, or at least that was one of a notable time that he had done that. Yeah, I love that ending. It's it's just oh man, the, just those feelings. So and then is that transition at the end of the queue to the next scene with the goblins and and darkness with that that, that weird looking chord, synthesized chord at the end of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's magnificent. It's a short cue. It's just over two minutes long. But um, again, just listen to that triumphant uh, that hero theme. And again, uh, composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorus.
We're now moving on to uh, the dress waltz. Uh, maybe the most famous cue from, from, from the score, uh, written before the film was made, had to be, because the choreography for the scene was was done to the music, and which is why it doesn't make much sense when you hear Tangerine Dream score to this sequence. But it's um, it's a really uh, eerie uh, sequence. Lily is is being seduced by darkness throughout most of these the, these moments in this in this film at this point, and uh, she. Correct me if I'm wrong. She runs into this room with all these uh, jewels and things of that sort, and 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 her character basically transforms uh, physically. I mean, her her outfit changes, and then she's completely seduced uh, by by darkness, and she starts off with this uh, devilish dance, and it's all uh, like I said, choreographed to this incredible uh, cue written by. By, by Jerry Goldsmith, which um, is just one of the weirdest, strangest things I've heard because there's kind of like conflicting emotions that are happening um, at the same time. There's some weird things. It, it seems like there's there's two ideas that just want to rip apart um, but stay bound together. And and I think that's just an absolute stroke of genius, and I'm sure uh, David will let us know um, why that is, but uh, Jason, uh, let us know what you think about the dress walls. Well, it's an important cue, not just for the film, but also for the for the career of Mike Ross, because it was the very first thing he recorded for Jerry Girls, it was the dress walls, and that's the reason, one of the reasons why he got the score, the complete score, with him engineering it. It is, as you said, it's, it is a superb cue. It's one of the highlights of the score, and it just... It just bedazzles you with the with the, the sheer beauty of it, the, the the increasing speed of the of the music, and you've got to admire the orchestration by Alexander Courage really coming to the fore here in this with this cue as well. It really because this is a this is a man who's done a lot of music cues on done a lot of orchestration on musicals as well, and I think it's one of the good one of the important pieces of this of this cue is his involvement of it because it really does. It just—it's just, it's like a whirlwind. You can see—you can see it's seducing. It's more—you can feel the seducing going through throughout the music, and it is just—oh, it's, it's just wonderful, wonderful. And seeing the visuals for the first time was was amazing for me, because you know it's a it's a fine performance by the actual for the for the dance. You know, it's very—it's very beautiful. The choreographer was the famous, famous British choreographer Arlene Phillips, who actually who worked on that, and it is—and it shows, you know—and she did a really great job on that. And it really does show the seduction of the darkness to Lily. And as I said at the end of the queue, she she's transformed into this weird-looking black dress as well at the end of it, and 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 going. We're going to talk about Tangerine Dream. You, you can see that when they do the music for this, this piece, they, they do they do actually do it the same. They, they, they do a, a, a dress waltz of their own, but you can see that the choreography is not to their music. It's definitely to somebody else's. And, it's, it, and the scene works because of Joey Goldsmith's music, and it's not. You know, you could rescore that, but it's not something. It's, it's definitely. You can, you can clearly see on that version that it's not there. They're not dancing to that music. But, it, but it, you know, it's it's another, it's a, it's a, as I said, it's a real highlight of the score. And I'm very interested to hear what uh, David's uh, 
how, how, he, how he breaks it down for, for the layman like myself. <laughs> yeah, before David, let's hear what Robert has to say. Um, Jerry sells, sells the, the uh, temptation here. The, uh, the, the conflict that uh, Mia Sarah or Lily is is feeling as she's she she doesn't want to but she's just seduced by the jewels she's seduced by the dress and it just it's just it's hauntingly beautiful and it's something that 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 sticks with me uh, long after the long after the film and uh, is over and, and and that scene alone as well just the visuals of that dress dancing and the, then the combination of the two characters it just it, it's it's a beautiful scene beautifully scored I, I love the crane shot when you get to that really big brass statement the very straussian part of yeah. uh, where you it pulls back and you see the full room and the characters those two characters are engulfed by it for a moment and then it it kind of dollies back in or cranes back in because it's mm -hmm. a fairly tight shot scene there's a lot of close-ups yeah of both of the the wraith and uh lily and you don't get a sense of the scope of the size and the magnitude except for that part where it, the mm -hmm. camera cranes up and then you see this huge vacuous kind of room it's really amazing i agree um so david if let me know if i'm wrong i mean are, are there like two ideas like conflicting here that are just kind of like wanting to to go their separate ways but it just is not happening it's a very complex harmonic i know i keep kind of re regurgitating recapping or repeating this idea because i think this is again something that's woven throughout the score very consciously that the, the the more notes in a chord, the more notes or what we call harmonic extensions, it, it creates this sense of dramatic um, ambiguity. And this, I think, is probably the cue that we're, where it most obviously culminates into that ambiguity because you've got this kind of alluring um, kind of beginning. It's, it begins very quietly. You've got the harp figure kind of playing sort of a G minor. See, this is, this is almost like a whole tone chord. It's, it's an augmented chord, but what it, a whole tone chord, as we probably all know, is that it's that whenever someone's going into a dream state, I'm dreaming of something. Oh. But anyhow, that's that's been used in for decades um, to suggest a dream state. And Goldsmith is kind of exploiting those types of sonorities by going from this almost a jazz chord to... So, and Ravel... Um, as I was telling Eric this, Ravel actually was very um, influential on jazz musicians in the mid-20th century. So they borrowed a lot of the harmonic principles he was using in his music and expanding upon them in a jazz context. So when we hear some of these, these ideas, we associate them with jazz, even though they originated from a you know, French composer in, in Europe. Um, but having that 
that kind of culmination of this harmonic sophistication um, is is this is this is probably narratively one of the most important parts of the film because it's it represents the turn of and, and the turn of the tide where you you've already seen the beginning of the 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 unic one of the unicorns has been slain it's it's and and it looks like things are kind of progressing in a in a bad way but lily still up to that point represents this this purity and this is where her purity is corrupted because of of darkness so you've got this and and the interesting motif here is that there's you know there's been a huge history of of horror films making evil be grotesque and scary and vile but if you i think if you go look further back in in literary history you'll find that the, a lot of these these nefarious characters were actually very seductive dracula was this romanticized kind of character so i think that that's where this this duality comes from is that darkness even though he looks like a demon he he's presenting these things that are that are very seductive and he's not this hideous linda blair kind of you know pazuzu thing from the exorcist he's he's got this this draw to him um and that think the score the music perfectly reflects this in in the construction and the in the sonorities and in just the tempo and again goldsmith matches the action perfectly with these retardandos where and and accelerandos and he's he builds this this cue to this magnificent um straussian kind of climax and with that let's hear dress waltz posed and conducted by jerry goldsmith and performed by the national philharmonic orchestra and chorus
All right, now let's listen to Tangerine Dreams version of the Dress Waltz. Um, not much I can say here. I don't. I don't like this cue at all. <laughs> at at, I can. at all. And um, <laughs> I can say and, stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I, I'm going to be nice. They should have just left Goldsmith's cue in, honestly, because none of this matches. It's so goofy. It is so unbelievably goofy that it just takes away everything that is building up. And uh, I, yeah, that's that's all I can say. Jason, what, what do you want to say about uh, this cue? I've already said it. You've just said it. It's just, you know, but they are dancing not to Tangerine Dream, but to Jerry Goldsmith. And you're absolutely right. They could have kept that cue in. There's no reason why they that uh, they could not have left that cue of Goldsmith score in the film. Because it makes a hell of a lot more sense than them dancing to the music that Tangerine Dream were providing for them is just this cue. And as I said, I, I, I know that cue for Jerry Goldsmith's in, in my head. It's been in my head now for nearly, oh, like nearly 30 years. And Tangerine Dream 1 has not even even come close to even appearing in my head. And that's uh, and that's uh, that's not that doesn't mean that Tangerine Dream are, as I said before, are not tangible people. There's good people like Christopher Frankie, you know, went on to do some great stuff. They've done some they've done some great scores over the years. I'm not all I'm saying is not criticizing or demeaning what they can do, they're all good musicians. But on this occasion, they are completely outclassed by one of the greatest composers of film music ever. Because it is, you know, what, 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 how you know? It's, a, it's it's like you going. It's like somebody going to say, "This is Strauss has done this wonderful waltz. It's the best waltz in the world. In the world, now you do a better one." And it, it's it's a harding to nothing. But they did their best, I'm sure. But it, you know, it's, it's if you heard Terry Goldsmith's cue for that for the dress waltz, I'm probably thinking, "How are we going to better that?" How, you know, we, got, we haven't got a chance. Well, maybe, maybe they thought the Jerry's version was too sweet. <laughs> More likely, yes. Too, too, <laughs> way too sweet. We, we, we've got to have this down with. We, we've got to think of them. We've got to be down with the kids here. You know, let's make it for the kids because the, these, these waltzes are boring. Why is she, why is she not break dancing or doing anything like that? You know, it just makes a lot more sense. You know, <laughs> but the problem is, is that ironically their their cue is much sweeter and it's it's very removed you've got this uh sort of something like that aside from my bad playing um and it's it doesn't change dynamics. It's kind of in the background. You've got these kind of these weird stingers of whale sounds and the Fairlight thing yet again. Um, but it's it's it, dynamically it's it's kind of mezzo piano where it never gets there's no range. It, whereas Goldsmith starts pianissimo and that gets the fortissimo at points. It's got this real arc to it. Uh, and and Tangerine Dreams is sort of is this there? It's kind of trying to match the tempo. There is that one slight kind of retardando at the end of the first kind of phrase in in there. So there there is a little bit of cognizance that it should breathe a little bit. But no, I can't compare. Yeah, uh, Robert. 
again, you're, you're more favorable towards the, the Tangerines dream score, I guess, than, than the three of us are, the other three of us are. Um, you saw this film first with Tangerine Dream's score. So when you see this scene, um, you know, what are you thinking? Why has nobody said, God, it sounds like a carnival ride. That's what the <laughs> yeah. music sounds like. Exactly. Like a merry-go-round or a carnival ride. Because that's basically what I what I think of when I when I hear now that I've heard Goldsmith's score and listening back to the to the Tangerine Dream score, I am more I am more critical of the Tangerine Dream score, and I'm not just and I'm not just sitting back and going oh that that's that's what they that's what they did. No, it sounds like a carnival ride. It sounds like a merry-go-round, and it it just com- while it's while it doesn't ruin the scene. Now that I know what the actual um, stuff sounds like, or that the actual Goldsmith stuff was was sounding like, it does not compare. It does not compare. Uh, David, one more thing. I mean, I, I get this. I use this quote from Austin Wintory quite often, where he says, "You can write simple music, but it doesn't have to be simplistic." Is that what's happening here with Tangerine Dreams? Q. It's just simplistic. Actually, that's probably one of the more developed pieces they wrote. There's more kind of... It's a longer theme, which is is not... It's something that a lot of the other parts of the score, they, they just evaded them. It's more chordal uh, compared to this. This, I mean, this does have that, you know... Does that oompa-pa kind of... Um, rhythmic thing with like a calliope at a like a like you said a merry-go-round or a carnival which is strange um but it's it's got a little bit of forward movement to it so i don't I, it's totally wrong for the scene it's i give them at least part marks for trying because it seems like a more developed idea it does unfold it just it doesn't unfold enough and it can't support the scene that it's it's being written for compared to the goldsmith which um i mean obviously he the reason why the dress waltz is probably one of his most dynamic and exciting cues is because he wrote it like a concert work so he he could write whatever he wanted in a lot of ways like he still had the mandate of here's narratively what's going on but he wasn't constrained by visuals he had the best the that's like the ideal dream for a film composer is scoring an idea rather than actually being locked into scoring specific moments at specific times and fitting your music to that. They basically cut the film to his music around the, the choreography like uh, Spielberg did with the, the last cue of Williams and E.T. I mean, that's the dream. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that, that, that's the ultimate compliment too. Now, again, in Legend, it was always planned that way. It was planned that he had had to write this before production, but he he was just had less restrictions. So it's not surprising this cue is just it's so magnificent because he had much less restrictions to to operate within. Even though it didn't seem like with the rest of the score where he was scoring a picture that that hindered him at all. Fair enough. Here is now Tangerine Dreams version of Dress Waltz.
Moving on, we are going to talk about uh, the big climactic cue, uh, Darkness Falls, and uh, what I find interesting about this cue in particular is is the fight between good and evil, and Goldsmith is doing that in his score, and even during the the sword fight between Jack and Darkness, Darkness is winning. And Goldsmith reflects that in his score. And that theme is just overpowering Jack's music until uh, eventually, I mean, we get this, I just love this part of the, of the track. And I wish I had a timestamp, but it's just that big triumphant choral piece where, you know, they finally win. And it's just it, the build up to that. I mean, this track is what, six and a half minutes long? Uh, it's it it just the release is so fantastic and I, I, there's nothing more I can say I mean when you want to say hey what's the most epic cue you can think of and I'm and epics just overused constantly but this is truly just epic in scope and uh, it's a fantastic cue Jason what are your thoughts well the cue is seven and a half minutes of pure ghost with brilliance as most of the score is I always think of it as the um, the payoff for the armor cue because this is where the Jack's theme, the hero theme, is used the most, and it really, you know, it's, as you said, it's a lot of lots of this, of this scene. Jack is losing the fight, but his uh, his heroic theme stands out throughout throughout this cue to the point when, uh, as you said, this wonderful choral. Shout of of glory and success when the when the lights come up from the plates and he is bedazzled with with with, with bright with light with light and and as Jerry Goldsmith has done a lot of great action cues in his career a, a, lot, a hell of a lot of good action cues in his career and this is one of the most memorable because of its sheer it it is it's, it's sheer what's the word it, it it's power and it's um it's progression it's very you know it's very very dramatic and it really fits the fits the scene so so well and it's 
you know he's got he's, he's using that that jack theme so well in it and um it is 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 that it is it's a so it's, it's a wonderful work and uh a real payoff to what has gone before particularly as i said from the from that cute for the armor because that is this is where that theme really does stand out on its own because jack with this getting ready for the final battle between him and dark between jack and darkness and it works so so well so so well robert you know i i, I hate going after jason because he basically says exactly what i want to say <laughs> uh it it's the thing is is that it's it's a brilliant cue and uh it's a i think it's a great use of of score with sound effects as well the the this as jason mentioned the sound of the lights or the sound of of, of the the light hitting the the plates and that sort of thing it works so well with the with the score and it just it's it's a wonderful combination of those two elements that i think really sells this cue and again brilliant goldsmith I wish I would stop running coming after Jason because he says everything I say. <laughs> uh, David, what's going on in this queue that uh, uh, the the other three, including myself, are maybe missing that you'd like to highlight for us? No, I think you all you all got it. Um, I think it's it obviously there's there's a lot of it's a culmination of ideas and. A resolution in in some ways, although that's more I think on the ring. But this is the the primary. This is the climax, the the conflict um, of the two characters. It's interesting because it, I was mentioning earlier that Darkness's theme is you know basically built on this open fifth. So you've got that. But if you notice, there's in this track, you've got this. So Goldsmith's kind of manipulating that using the same intervals, but he's making it more frenetic. And it's got kind of that odd metered, kind of fractured, fragmented, rhythmic kind of jagged thing, which that's symbolizing darkness, but it's it's much more aggressive because he's actually fighting with Jack, whereas the queue opens up and it's more, it's portentous, but it's not, it's not as involved. And then you've got that, you've kind of got that figure that comes in that sort of starts things rolling. So you've kind of got that moody beginning and then it, it moves to more of the conflict where things start becoming more uh, involved as far as the tempo and the rhythm and the energy of the orchestra. You've got that recurring figure in the synth, but you've also got it in the brass. The horns are, are playing that that kind of uh, fractured, you know, darkness. Um, and then, then that's being contrasted with uh, even the 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 unicorn there's that's part yes. of in that you know and uh and also the then a f much faster version of the heroic um theme in the trumpets sort of more you know animated version so you've got all this culmination of these music ideas which have been introduced and 
consciously or unconsciously, your the viewer's brain has encoded these things. So when you hear them recapped, but slightly modified to be more suited towards the energy and the tempo of the scene, there there is this emotional investment or that inconsistency that people have they've already they've been introduced these ideas so they understand on this elemental unconscious level perhaps of what's going on wow if i mean if there was any other way of saying hey you know what themes and melody are important in film scores i mean you just said it right there david i mean perfectly encoded in your brain i couldn't have said it any better and i mean yeah, you, you, you just, I mean, I know there are scores without themes and melodies and they work, but I mean, man, when you, when you have these many characters and it's just so important because it, it, it works, it's, it's tried, tested and true. And, um, and yeah, you said it just perfectly. There's also uh, some string voicings and harmonies that are very, very reminiscent of some of the final conflict because, and I think that's on purpose. There is a religious tone um to some of the the um parts of this cue because there, there's a religious kind of under overtone of of this the this age-old battle between good and evil Yeah, and that's something we never, uh, we didn't address um, at the beginning of the of the show um, because the the script is essentially it's very biblical, um, you know, the, the light and darkness, and that's pretty much where its origins. Um, that's where it all came from, uh, and what inspired the the writer to write the. Uh, sorry, who's the screenwriter? I completely forgot the name. William Hosberg, I think his name is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting observations. Here is Jerry Goldsmith's Darkness Falls cue from Legend, again, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorus.
right. We're going to talk about uh, Tangerine Dreams version of, well, it's, it's not really Darkness Falls because on the soundtrack, it's darkness and then it segues into the kitchen cue. Um, so uh, I have nothing nice to say. So who wants to take over? <laughs> it's, it's music, it's a lot of notes, but it's not as good as Jay Goldsmith's. I think that's all we can say. <laughs> well, it's got that, they've had that sitar in there, which is weird. Like, where did that come from? That's yeah, the, that right. makes, there's no timbral mo need for that or, or uh, relevance or context for that. I mean, you've got this, this kind of, uh, It's a, it's a very weird kind of theme, and it, it, I wouldn't even say it's a theme. It's more of just like a phrase or something. And then it's it's punctuated. You've got this kind of low sampled choral motif, hmm. and then um, like. That's that's very that's almost like a Middle Eastern scale. That's that's bizarre. Um, and then that's there's that in the low the low chorus, and then you've got this sitar thing doing some licks over it, which is again ambivalent is the word that comes to mind often whenever I the, the how how the score um, impacts me. It just seems very not connected it seems like it was just kind of thrown together and it didn't have a would, lot of context. would you describe it generally as action music for, compared to the goldsmith effort on that cue um so not the darkness track but then when you get into the kitchen track which has the patented tangerine dream i think even at the time i kind of liked that cue because it was closer to what i was used to with them which is sort of this kind of flute synthetic flute figure it's like a repeating idea and it's going on and on and, and and then they start embellishing it with different chord stabs and different types of things but it's kind of got that hypnotic loop that sequence that their other stuff their other really better known stuff was was very effective at like thief had all these really interesting repeating lines and they were layered on top of each other creating some really neat polyrhythms and some some really cool um synth tones and how the different synths would kind of blend together um th that's that was sort of their patented thing that was there even in in risky business you'd have these these kind of ostinatos um which then they would have play a, like a sustained chord over but there'd be something rhythmically interesting kind of going on um that was kind of the closest they got to i think their comfort zone or wheelhouse but it, the problem is it's, it's it's that kind of that kind of approach doesn't work for this and i would think the one thing i was going to say earlier as a sort of an overview is i think the the only thing that could have worked that may have worked against goldsmith score for a more popular acceptance maybe even at the time is that it is more reactive to the events on screen than most of his other scores like he certainly would follow the action catch the action in lots of his his great scores whether it's first blood or papillon or star trek or what have you i mean he, he never was insensitive to that 
But again, I think he loved to, to really focus on the subtext of a scene. So it wasn't as what we call Mickey Mouse, as you guys know. I, I think potentially some people misinterpreted some of what he was doing, which was dramatic expression like a stage work, like a ballet, as being too literal as to what like he was trying to describe in the score. So maybe that's what freaked out producers or the audience didn't quite connect because it seemed like a very regressive idea or what they would perceive at the time as old-fashioned and they wanted something that was kind of like mood music like Tangerine Dream that it's it's supposed to if acknowledge the mood and then underscore that but not be so reactive or and then that's that's what I get from this this track but this Tangerine score altogether is it's it's there as a presence but it's it's not getting in the way but it's also not doing anything either it's not it's not helping to elevate the the narrative yeah that's an excellent point that's exactly what it's not doing it, it's really not doing anything um which is just i mean that's bad film music <laughs> just bad it's just it's, there. it's not satisfying film music it's, for sure yeah, no. it's just there and just kind of floating on top and, and not really that's the thing it's not how it doesn't have anything to say and that's that's it, it, that's it a doesn't problem. add to the scene it's right. filling space it that is exactly it it's just filling space robert any uh any thoughts on this cue in particular um not really uh again I've, <laughs> i i i have it's all it's kind of all been said so um, what, what, she what let do you robert want? go first next time <laughs> <laughs> no the thing is is that we it's, could owe tonight well the thing is is uh, like i mean i i don't mind going going last but the thing is is that i mean when when you've got this divisive of of a of a, of a score when you've got one score that's 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 that serves the film well and was originally written for it and one that kind of uh, was written after the fact you're going to get that um, that disconnect
All right, that'll do it for another episode of Soundtrack Alley. Uh, thanks uh, to Randy Andrews for uh, for letting me host and moderate uh, this uh, crazy and wacky crew. Um, this has been a fun episode, and you know what? We have the four of us definitely have to get back together again at some point and just just talk film music for for a couple hours and and not really have a have a topic. Let's just go with it. This is this is way too much fun. This is just way too much fun. The theme music for uh, Soundtrack Alley was composed by Alexander Shebel with the Cinematic Sound Radio Fanfare and Theme composed by the one and only David Casina. Uh, yeah, great episode on on Legend. Of course, it, it seems like we all prefer the, the Jerry Goldsmith score. And again, we are not haters of the, of uh, Tangerine Dream. We just don't like this particular score in, in, in the context of that awful cut the American cut of the, of the movie. Uh, Robert, thanks again for, for joining us tonight. Uh, do you have anything that you uh, like to plug or, or, or promote? Well, it'll depend on when this, uh, this show is being aired, but in the coming weeks, I'll be celebrating 21 years on the air uh, with a special program and got a whole bunch of other things coming up in, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but the 21st anniversary is the, is, is very high on, on the priority list. Jason, what's going on? Well, I've, I've got some special shows coming up. We should be hopefully having soon the interview with, uh, Austin Wintry, another two part special and another two part special after that with uh, Bruce Broughton. And then after that, some more composed interviews I'll be doing and, uh, some more archives coming in the near future. David, is there ever going to be another episode of uh, Composer Conversations? Uh, I hope so. I, I've got Amin Batia, who is a, a great composer, um, who's been working on some Canadian um, films in the last, and TV shows. He just actually won a, a couple of awards, I noticed, uh, with his partner, composer bar, Ari Posner. Posner? Posner? Shoot, I don't have to check out his name um i mean is a huge jerry goldsmith fan and a huge fan of of uh soundtracks in general so he's a lot of he's a lot of fun to talk to he's he's uh, a touch older than me but his enthusiasm is still like a, when he was in his teens he's just endlessly fascinated with uh with uh, music for film music in general and i can't wait to have him on the show um and uh yeah when my when my schedule breaks from <laughs> doing ghost writing for for publications or or video games or rpgs or whatever um i'd like to like to interview a few more people my final thoughts on on legend and i probably said them a few times though but um tangerine dream i'm still a huge fan of at least they're there are seminal works from the seventies and the, to the mid eighties, uh, have a huge collection of theirs. I was influenced by them. It wasn't actually John Williams that got me into doing music. It was thief from Tangerine dream, which got me to buy my first synth. And then from there, I just kept on doing music since and kept on buying keyboards too, unfortunately, since the last <laughs> 40 years. And, um, so they're, they're, they're a very profound um, influence in my own music career. And uh, I, I would never want to denigrate them 
for a lot of factors that are outside of their control. So uh, no, their score doesn't um, doesn't come across as well as Goldsmith's, um, and uh, for all the reasons we explained. But they're still a great group and an important group in the history of electronic music development. So don't write any letters to, to Derek Orsini. He really likes you. <laughs> and by the way, for the record, it's 4 a.m. in the morning now. And have I got through this? I have no idea. Hey, we really do. We really do appreciate it, Jason. Honestly, no, this was, I mean, it's the only time we could get together, the four of us, honestly, so busy. Well, uh, Jason, Robert, David, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to uh, to join me today, and hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. We're going to end the program with uh, Jerry Goldsmith's finale and and title cue called "Reunited." What's interesting about this, and this is heard in in the film, is that uh, we get to hear uh, parts of uh, "Sing the Wee." in the end credits and uh it does appear earlier on in the score on album but you don't hear it in the film itself uh but this is a this is one of those great end credit cues one of the best of all time honestly and just uh just hearing those those final kind of like um what are they singing what are they singing at the end david um it's just so warm and calming <laughs> right at the end of the sing of the we uh you mean the, song. the actual notes uh yeah 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 yeah, that. But then there's the isn't there interesting ringo, chordal ringo, changes there too? Ringo. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it it's all it's all very warm sonorities by that point. I think there's muted strings, so everything's kind of this nice bed. Um and it honestly it's it's the it's like the last movement of a Mahler symphony. You feel the sense of closure. Mm, exactly. Uh, emotional and dramatic closure. Uh, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us for this episode of Soundtrack Alley. I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can reach myself um, at Sound Radio on Twitter or Cinematic Sound on Facebook. Uh, visit Cinematic Sound on the web at cinematicsound.net. And until next time, take care and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to TeePublic to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.